Hello and welcome to episode number three of Nighttime. How are you? We're all a bit wet up here in northern New South Wales at the moment, so I come to you from inside a momentarily quiet on the roof bat cave. It's been raining and raining and raining and raining, so I've been waiting a while to record this intro while I can to make sure I've got it in the bank, as the saying goes. Of all things, an interview took place recently with my first guest for night time, and I'm looking forward to bringing that up. I should mention, though, a bit of housekeeping. Wow. I walked out of the end of episode two without letting you good listeners know that that was Shaolin Dub with Cut Off as the, as the end track. So we made it to show three, and in planning and preparing and uh, recording for this show, I did have a wonderful time sitting down with a young man I've known for quite a few years, who will, um, well, you'll enjoy his company when we re-record, says Marty right now, because uh, the take that we did was in such a reverby room. Oh, and I will not deliver that to you, uh, nor did I obviously afford myself the time to research low-pass filters and such, but any, ooh, we can do a re-record, that's what we're going to do. So look forward to that. But what we do touch on uh, within that are established mental health conditions. So, and this is why I wanted to just spend a little bit of time on the intro before we do meet Benjamin. You'll hear us talk about terms and uh, names. You know, it's, it's, it's important for science to be able to identify things by a certain set of characters or or uh, symptoms, whatever becomes more tangible to be able to relate from case to case. This is how diagnosis is performed. And so what you get at our end, I suppose, as the end users of this service, is our own attempts at trying to formulate identifiable words, words that are a little more usable, a little more friendly, sounds less officious. So when we do use these terms, friends, don't forget to be gentle with them and use them in context, as we do. And, yeah, you'll find that Benjamin feels a bit empowered sometimes when it comes to absorbing and processing this. It is, it's a wonderful uh, interview, I have to say. And uh, we do touch on some very important stuff, what it was like to grow up as a young male uh, in Australia with uh, a condition that, well, he'll let you know more about it. He'll be talking to you about his his life, really. But I wanted to uh, ask him questions about what it was uh, like to be a student. What does a student mean to him? How does he see himself? You know, within the the, the future workforce, it's it's all good fun. It's all good fun. We, I'm lucky. I'm very lucky to have Ben's uh, trust in that regard. So uh, I do thank him in advance before we uh, crack this open for his time. And listeners, when we do touch on neurodivergency in today's episode, please keep in mind Australian Judy Singer is the qualified academic who coined the phrase back in 1997, I believe. As you read up on her, and I encourage you to do exactly that. I've I've done a bit. I encourage you to do that. I really don't feel like I need to for the, for today's show. I believe Benjamin brings enough for you, uh, in a, in a realistic sense. But please, Dr. Judy Singer, nineteen ninety seven, and the fact that two things were really going on for her at the time, which I find incredibly interesting, and can't wait until the end. So I'll tell you now. Uh, it did spark, obviously, a wave, a revolution of uh, assessment and diagnosis, which we're still coming to grips with as a real thing today, 25 years later. But for her personally, it was also a case of realising her position in what might have been identifiably hereditary trait between her mother and herself and then again between herself and her daughter. So please do read up. Anyway, enough from me. Let's meet Ben. 
ladies and gentlemen of the listening audience, I'd like to present to you Nighttime's first actual interviewee. And your name is, sir? Benjamin. That's my first name. I'm not sure. You didn't specify if you wanted the rest. And where are you, Benjamin? I'm at home. I'm in my room in yes. front of my laptop. We had to uh, retake in the in the true 21st century style, in true pandemic style. We've redone it over Zoom. And why not? It's just become too difficult for us to match up and uh, find a decent, quiet, dry spot, I would say, at the moment. But thank you very much for joining me, mate. Why don't you start by telling us a little a bit about yourself? What's a little bit about Ben? <laughs> oh boy, I can't wait for the custom jingle for this one. Uh, a little bit about me. I- I'm I'm Ben. I have a, a not-so-passing phase in the interests of the creative arts, particularly in animation and film. I, um, I collect plastic, uh, specifically the Transformers plastic, and... Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say, um, you know, I, I don't know how else to describe myself that makes me sound particular. Have you been into Transformers for a while? Is that one of those childhood type characters? I mean, for me, they were. How, how, how long do the, do the uh, Autobots go back for you? 2007. I didn't see it in theaters, but uh, my dad and my brother went and saw it in theaters, and they brought the DVD. They brought the DVD home. I spent numerous. I spent numerous male deers, the bucks, on uh, collecting this plastic. And you, you mentioned you got a passion for the creative industry in general. Uh, is that the sort of thing you'd like to get into? Yeah, but there's a few things that demoralize me, so uh, I don't know. I just can't. I feel I'm just kind of stuck in a for in a lack for lack of a better word. Why don't we start at the beginning, Bean? And um, yeah, let's let's kick it back a notch. Let's put you into some context. Uh, you were born. Oh, wasn't it around the turn of the century? When when were you born? I was born uh, like a f- like a few months before all of technology, uh, all the clocks on technology reset. So late, 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 late ninety nine. In the last, in the last quarter, yeah. Prince Prince essentially wrote a song about it's your birthday. I don't listen to Prince, so I don't know. You could be lying, but then again, what would I know? What what would you know? I, I this is this is what we're here to find out. What would Ben know? Let's find out. So, uh, born then and uh, lived in uh, around Sydney, if I recall, for a little bit. Then uh, my parents uh, they found work in Coffs Harbour, so we lived in Coffs Harbour. But then we moved to Grafton into like near the end of two thousand and twelve. So. I mean, like it's, it's a perfect five out of ten town. It, it's not great, but it's not wor- It's not terrible either. It's closer to a six than a four. Okay, so that's where you've lived and where you've been. What about you know high school and things like that? How did you find high school? What was what was school like for Ben? Well, school is always an interesting time for most people. I don't think I'm exempt from such uh, experiences however a lot of my time I spent around my brother's friends because you know he's my older brother and I felt safe around him can I ask can I ask how how many siblings do you have Ben how older is this particular brother I have the one he's two years older than me because he was born in 97 Funnily enough, your brother is as old as the uh, term neurodivergency. Wow. If I remember that fact, I'll tell him. 
your family should be discussing neurodivergency as often as possible for reasons that may become obvious. But let's, I want to let you finish your answer. You, you were hanging around with your brother. Mm, and his friends. Because one idea I've heard about kids is that wanting to be cool, they look to what older kids are doing. So I guess I thought that listening into these conversations from these older kids made me feel cool. Granted, I did, like, wander around the school and talk with people that I had known. But that was the majority of my social life. Until I had one freakout. And then the, uh... Special Education Division. The SEDS came in to try and help me. Okay, so tell us about this freakout, and then we'll come back to what it all means now. Tell us about that freakout. What happened there? The problem is, with these freakouts, I just tried to... I guess I just pushed the details out of my head because it, at the time I thought, oh, well, this is this is embarrassing. I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't remember the specific details. Only that it happened. Well, what do you remember happening, mate? I don't remember what happened, but I know that I freaked out about something, and then that's when the special education people came in. A freakout is is a yelling at adults if there are any around, and clearly showing signs that I needed help. But uh, you know, in the hip, in the ironically unhelpful manner of uh, shot of trying to be intimidating at the same time with anger. So that yelling, that that yelling was that more defensive or offensive what do you think was was going through your mind when you when you were yelling like were you being profane were you being personal were you being abusive what what was happening it would have probably just been profane and i was probably and i i shouldn't say probably because you know that doesn't help it was just the release of this not of this agitation from not understanding this problem okay so a lot of people i suppose can identify with struggling with challenges and problems at school but can you remember how old you were when this freakout happened like because you you pinpointed it as what sounds like a, a turning point or a change because it was after that freak out that you say you started receiving attention from a unit that is uh specially qualified to deal with that. this freak out by the way was still at tormina so so year seven first year high school yeah all right and yeah did you did you hit anyone? Or was it all verbal? It was verbal. I might have swung my arm against a wall or a door. What was it frust- what was it frustration with, do you think? Being asked to do something that you didn't understand, or being asked to do something that was beyond your or outside your your skill set? More than likely it's the latter, but it was also a possibility that I was just angry at myself for not understanding and taking it out on other people. So you externalized some some anger and frustration. Do you feel like uh, that's something that Ben still carries? Yes. Oh, definitely. Like two nights ago, I was playing a game with Steve, and I did something that cost us a match. Steve is my brother. That is his name. His name is Steve. And I did something that made us lose a game, and he... And, of course, we were both mad. And then he said, Ben, that was so stupid. What were you thinking? And my response wasn't trying to justify, like, I, I thought I could get us out of that situation. My immediate response was, well, Steve, I'm completely brain dead. And I'm assuming that you're not. 
Well, complete brain death is quite the exaggeration because I was still conscious. Do you exaggerate uh, a lot, Ben? Is hyperbole your thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, definitely something that I have picked up on and make frequent use of. Especially when it comes to myself in the less desirable aspects. Not too sure that Steve would have taken that the wrong way. I think a brother would have just basically said, yeah, um, that conversation never happened because he really wasn't asking you what you were thinking. But you did give him a very straightforward answer. That doesn't sound like frustration to me. That just sounds like the two of you finished a game and it didn't end without violence or aggression. The uh, the tone we had, oh, there, there, there was anger. Like, there was anger in my voice and bewilderment in his. And yet the two of you continue to play together and you know you will play again and you'll do so for quite some time. So it's not it's not deal-breaker, this anger. Has it become part of your relationship? Do you two just naturally ebb and flow, exchanging a level of energy that's, as you said, aggressive? It's more of I receive that energy and then occasionally give it out, but then feel like I'm not being able to reciprocate it. Or at the very least, like, deal the same energy. Because I internalize a lot of negative aspects about myself. Even if it is just passing... Even if it is just passing comments. So let's have a look into perhaps why. Uh, Ben, would you like to describe for us, please? Would you care, please? to describe for us, I should say, uh, your, and you can go back as far as you like to answer this question and its, and its contents and its history, because this is, this is what makes you just as unique and special as the rest of us, Ben. Would you please describe for us, in your words, your mental condition? What is Ben's condition? Well, in terms of uh, official diagnoses, I have autism, which I have on occasion referred to as the aughts for comedic effect to entertain myself. And that has most obviously manifested in, of course, social situations and in my difficulty in reading people. In terms of my current state of mind, I... You ever seen a bubble that just keeps... just keeps growing? It's kind of like that. Mostly with, uh... negative comments and just the passing... passing thoughts that should remain passing but stick. So, you know, a, a nice smelting pool of, uh, not the most desirable, uh, perceptions of myself. Okay. Now, I, we, we could unpack that a number of ways. The simplest seems to be, so how's your family feel about that? But I don't know how relevant that is to your, to your answer. So perhaps I'll let you tell us how far back your autism goes and what you remember about that. Well, I don't remember the most pinpoint moment of being diagnosed with autism, but I know that I have been diagnosed. And it's been through with me through most of my, most of my life. I mean, of course, as, like, an infant, how can people tell, really? But, yeah, after that, I did kind of show signs. Uh, I did show the signs that led to my diagnosis. You know, I w- apparently I wasn't that sociable with other kids. I, uh, I liked Sonic the Hedgehog, which is a current... No, I, I shouldn't say that. That's That's, like, a joke thing from the internet. Because it's a com- for some reason it's a commonality for o- kids with mental disabilities to like Sonic the Hedgehog. 
probably doesn't have any relevance here. Uh, no, I mean, I, I hadn't heard it, but if that seems to be something you guys are sharing amongst each other so that you can put Sonic into context, more power to you. I just didn't realise he'd come become some sort of you know, symbol. A lot of it probably comes down to the fact that since the games are meant to be going fast, it's kind of like overstimulation where this thing it's so many things going past the screen to where you can't really focus on it but it's still alluring because of how like especially in terms of like the early games with like on the Sega from the Sega Genesis up till like early 2000s where the games were just really colorful and that goes with the characters too, because they're all so different in colours. Very similar to Thomas, where you, it, every character is so easy to identify. It's such, it's such clear designs. You're referring there to Thomas, comma, the tank engine. Yeah, Thomas the tank engine, the entity, yes. First name Thomas, last name the tank engine. So there's something to be said there for a relationship between video games and mental focus. Absolutely. I can't deny that I had to reef the phone out of my son's hand over a year ago. It was as, you know, 15 was really starting to kick in and, um, he didn't realize just how much free access he gave himself to his phone as a distraction. So I can totally see uh, the potential for a link to be built there. And you do video game a lot, don't you, Ben? Oh, well, what can I say? It's a, it's a habit. Yeah, no, I do. I do. A lot of times when I could be uh, reading or uh, learning, watching YouTube videos that actually teach skills in departments that I would like to work in no I'll just play a video game so why do you make that choice do you think because it's easier to just load up a video game than it is to actually mentally lock yourself onto a task that requires that much attention yeah, you're absolutely right. It is much easier to do something of leisure than it is that to do something of responsibility or, or personal development. Yeah, you're right. That's not what you're about, though, is it, Ben? You don't want to spend the rest of your life playing video games, do you? Well, I mean, I say I don't, but apparently all the actions I take point to the, the, the lack of development. Tell me what you understand about autism. Uh... Autism is where the brain develops differently, where some skills, some nutrients go to a different part of the brain for, in lack of... I'm probably explaining this poorly, but basically your brain develops other parts a bit more than it does others. So instead of a non-neurodivergent brain being like the average where it kind of has like average development for all aspects neurodivergent is more putting the development in another part to compensate for the others not like holding up to biological standards alright so let's say for example I'm only using this in context, people, but it's more than likely to happen because it used to happen all the time. Let's say I wander into my local comic store slash gaming store slash pop figurine store slash whatever that is. Um, and uh, I, I, sit, I, I sit down and opposite me on a table of gaming whatever with your gaming mats and whatever is you sitting right next to someone else who is also autistic and is also neurodivergent. What's the first thing I'm going to notice in common between the two of you? We never make eye contact. With who? With anyone. With other people. Okay. 
I've seen you make eye contact with people. Oh, it's and it's a Herculean effort. Why is that, mate? What what's going on in your brain there? Do do expand on us. I have all the curiosity in the world for this because me, I love catching gays. I'm just that sort of person. I love catching gays. That's me. Tell me why it's Herculean. I I, I guess I'm just sabotaging myself because I don't even know why it's hard. It just feels harder than it should be to maintain prolonged eye contact. Well, in this context, are you an unfamiliar person? Because that definitely is the biggest factor in, like, having difficulties with social relationships. So I'm sitting opposite you and Theodore. Neither of you want to make eye contact with me. You're clearly engaged in whatever tasks you're making. Is it uncomfortable if I try and make eye contact with either of you? And if I try and establish that that visual bond? I can't narrow it down to a specific lot of time. But I'd say after a few minutes of positively positive back and forth, then, yeah, the person becomes familiar. A couple, a couple of minutes actually sounds fairly reasonable in most in in most yeah. situations. No one would ask anyone to become f- more familiar than than that. I would like to assure you that if you think that actually separates you from from uh, people like myself who are who who appear equally sociable on the outside, a couple of minutes doesn't sound like much. The most simplest way of interpreting a difference between how I see myself making social connections with other people is that from my perspective it's almost instantaneous that other people can connect with someone and have them be familiar whereas sometimes with me i have to meet them multiple times in order for me to finally consider them well like i said a few positive you know back and forth in the conversation could also it could vary a little bit so that it would have to possibly take another a second or third meeting with that person but if the gap of time between the meetings is is significant enough I will just straight up forget I met you Well, then let's move on to where this becomes a little more important for you as you roll into adulthood. 25 is not too far away. Uh, According to modern science, your brain's only that far away from finishing growing, which is fantastic. Um, The workforce. Now, as I'm led to believe, you do currently hold a job down. You hold a job down uh, successfully within its parameters at one of our local sawmills. How do you find working with other people as a concept? Well, two out of the three days I'm there as permanent part-time, I'm on my own anyway. But the one day, because it's a family business, on the one day that I work with other people, it's the boss's wife and the boss's daughter. And we pack firewood. But yeah, other than that, like, most of the time it's fine, but other times I'll find little things that they do and think, wait, what? And be a little perplexed. But I understand that other people have their own systems. But most of the time, instead of asking them about them and thinking about why they do it, I just keep to myself and keep doing my job. Even though sometimes I'll do something and they'll point it out. What sort of things do they point out to you that you you think are, are relevant? Well, since I'm new to the job, like it, a lot of them are understandable. Like sometimes I'm taking too long to uh, pick up a specific pick up like a block or something to put in the bag initially to take up most of the weight sometimes I'll take a little longer then I'll take like a couple seconds longer and then they'll say like 
Ben, come on, hurry up. Which I get. It's a it's a job. You're supposed to be efficient. So what's going on there? You feel like people are, 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 are maybe unnecessarily attacking your efficiency? Again, this is all personal response relevant. I'm not asking are you being bullied at work. Do you feel like when you get that sort of feedback that it comes through unnecessarily? I think I have a problem with taking criticism because I'm such a perfectionist and thus sometimes when they point something out I feel like wait what no I this was fine before what what's wrong now like what's wrong with it now and then I'll dwell on it while I'm working between you and me the listeners and the floor that makes you an imperfectionist more than it does a perfectionist Okay, I've never heard the term imperfectionist. To be honest, I hadn't manifested it until now, because now I actually realise what it means. We might come back to that another time. Self-perception is important, and, uh, of course, having a healthy ego and sense of self is incredibly important in this decade, especially considering everything that humanity's gone through the last few years. How is your... Ego, Ben, how are you taking care of your mental elf? Well, I've got news for you. I don't. In the sense of... This habit started in high school, where... The entire time, like, I was surrounded by, like, imagery on, like, through, like, media and through my social interactions that... Hey, don't be a bully, and the easiest way to not be a bully is to make sure you understand that you aren't really above anyone. So, my black and white way of thinking back then was, Oh, I'll just destroy my ego. Then I'm not above anyone. That, I, I will say, that might have, that, that backfired a little bit. Because... Now, like, the only time I will ever accept a compliment about myself is if it's coming from the outside. And depending on the facial expression it comes with, I might, may or may not believe it. Like, it's it's also this idea that, oh, I can't be bullied by other people. I can't be hurt by bullies if I bully myself. Uh, Which, I've heard about this yeah. before, beating beating the bullies off at the at the pass by saying, you think you've got shit to dump on me. Take a number. I'm way ahead of this. How long do you think you've been ripping on yourself as a, <clears throat> well, if I do it, no one else has to, or if I can do it better than, if I can do it better than everyone else, if I can actually punish myself internally better than everyone else, then whatever this, they say won't matter. How long do you think that's been going on? Uh, 2014. Uh, in context, people, eight years and pretty much since he was 14. 14, 15. A rather, a rather delicate age, uh, I would hazard to say, on behalf of anyone. Well, I mean, it didn't work, but it didn't stop me from trying. Also because f- at the same time, I was trying to see if I could get people to like me, and one of the ways that, one of the easiest ways to get people to like you is through comedy. And one of the most popular forms of comedy is self-deprecation. But here's the thing about the human brain. If you say the same thing over and over again, initially as a joke, you'll start to believe it. Comedians also manage to, as you know, and we all know, deal with a lot of uh, personal crises and mental health issues by just throwing more of themselves into comedy. And indeed, it may not surprise anyone to know that Ben and I, in fact, have shared the same stand-up microphone all too recently. And it was a pleasure to see Ben up there just letting it all out because that's exactly what comedy should be about. It should be about saying, I got up here, you didn't, cop this for the next three minutes, and if they don't ask me back, who cares? How do you find uh, people receive your comedy, Ben? Well, here's another... This goes back to my ego. 
with the few times I did the open mic, I will always consider the first time I did it as a fluke. When I had the room cackling at the end. See, and you've told me that I do make, I have made people laugh at the other, like, open mic events, but in my head, I will only count, I guess, the one time, that f initial first open mic night, as the end-all, be-all, that, that, like, that's, that's my peak in my mind. Like, I, in my mind, I will forget the ones that went okay, but I'll remember the ones that bombed and the one that did really well. Would you like to write comedy for other people, Ben? Or is this, this is, is for, for want of a better concept, is autistic comedy best served and delivered unto and only by its original author? What, where do you find it? It fits. If someone has an, a proper understanding of the subject material, then go right ahead. But even then, like, even people that don't understand it, like, people shouldn't be allowed to not make jokes. They could be ridiculed for not understanding, like, the source material or just not constructing a joke correctly but that shouldn't stop someone from making a joke yeah but would you like to write for someone else could you write for sean McAuliffe? is what i'm asking his show is is nothing but political satire which is fantastic could you write comedy for comedy's sake or do you believe that yours is potentially only better suited to be served up by ben a lot of my humor comes from videos and like editing and like type video editing t timing in video editing so i'm not sure if i could write as many like humor humorous jokes that can be told like all in one go rather than just making an edit that can get a laugh out of you. So when it comes, so when it comes to stand up, there's no point in me saying, Ben, could you write a routine for me, please? Cheers. Just I'll send you a blank check at the end. Just write me a routine. You, that's that's not the go. I would politely decline because I wouldn't believe in myself to be able to deliver a competent routine. Self confidence seems to be something that keeps popping up in our chat here. How how much support do you feel, Ben? surname withheld actually gets at home for his self-confidence considering that and i haven't mentioned this you still live there and there is nothing wrong with that yeah some people will have a bit of a freak out about it but uh, I, I, I don't know I don't, I don't know about that i don't know about those people i'm sure they have their own issues to deal with but um my parents will compliment me as much as they can or as much as they feel like they can it's only on very rare occasions where i i share with them how i feel about my level of competence and that's when they give the you know the heartfelt parental speech in a film's third act where look i can't figure out how to use Blender. I can't use an editing software, but you can. You can do it. That's just not something I think about. I don't think about, oh, what are the advantages of being neurodivergent? See, the thing is, I don't, like, really focus on whether or not someone is neurodivergent when they're successful. So, no, I guess I don't actively see the connection. Who's your favourite director, Ben? The director that comes to mind when you ask that question is a, is a charming man by the name of Taika Watiti. He has a... He, his style of directing is charming, for lack of a better term. Especially after watching 
Hunt for the Wilder People, and Jojo Rabbit. It also is writing. Like, even though Thor Ragnarok is directed like every single other Marvel movie, you could tell, like, even... His style can push through the... The, uh... The samey cinematography of the Marvel movies. Cool. Now, if I was able to sit you and Theodore and either of your parents and your psychologist, who I believe you currently see, uh, if I sat you all down in a room and revealed to you that Taika Waititi identifies as neurodivergent, what would you say and what do you think everyone else would say? My parents would probably try to encourage me and say, like, look, this is proof that you can succeed. Meanwhile, I'm like, oh, cool, he got through it. I still haven't. And what's the difference between... And I I truly do ask this, not as an annoying uncle, but as someone who also works in the creative industry. What do you see as the necessary bridges to be crossed and gaps to be filled in order for our Ben to be able to get started in that direction. Taika Waititi worked his ass off and luck was also on his side. And I know that the luck explanation is like, ugh, that's so so, uh, wince-worthy, that's so cheesy, but you really do have to be lucky in order excel in that field if to be able to truly excel do you do you you want to excel ben or do you just want to get there like what's what are you using as a measuring stick of success for ben i want you to get there your parents want you to get there what's what's ben's idea of excel another exaggeration versus just getting there well the thing about getting there is being able to carry enough momentum and or motivation to in order to just make these projects and get a film reel together and then send it in to these agencies, receive feedback, maybe dwell in it a little bit, and then see if I can work on it. But so far, my only projects have been, like, montages of me and my brother playing video games. So the other question I have, unfortunately, is what's the worst side of autistic being autistic? And I think we may have heard it. Do you feel like it's holding you back on finishing plans, finishing projects, getting beyond just started? How do you feel? Again, I'm asking you because I'm not asking a psychologist. One thing about... Like, my experience as someone, as an autistic person, I absorb a lot of information, but I don't give myself all of the time to process everything. So, what, when I'm at work, I usually have my earbuds in listening to a podcast or music. When I'm alone with my thoughts, and again, this might not just, this might not be to do with the autism, this is more just these self-confidence issues where I feel like if every time I let myself be alone with my thoughts, it never ends well. Rarely am I able to be able to keep myself calm. Is there a lot of uh, anger and resentment going on under there, buddy? What's what's the opposite of hyperbole? Like, like a under understatement? That's it. Uh, it's it just a little bit of resentment, you know, to put an understatement on it to try and cope. What do you think are some of the personal challenges that Ben faces as a young male in a rural town where there's there's no real sense of thriving industry or purpose around here? What do you think some of the greatest challenges are around here? Like, do you honestly feel like you're getting 
or, or you or any of your associates, and you have made associates around here uh, in your ilk and your circle of gamers and whatnot, do you feel like you're actually getting the proper support required to be able to live in pursuit of a better life? That you don't have to accept things the way they are and just sit in the corner. Do you feel like you're actually getting what's needed to help you move forward on a personal scale? No. Because I feel like I live in an environment where ambition goes to die. The people who have an ambitious drive have, fortunately for them, skipped town to find bigger and better things. Would Ben like to skip town? See, even if I felt like moving back to Coffs, I felt like I would be in a better environment to work towards what I want to do. Because, sure, it's cheaper to live in Grafton than it is to live in Coffs, but um, I don't want to be someone who does a hard labour job and then may or may not develop alcoholism or just give up. Because that's all I see when I... When I see my dad and, like, the other people that work at the sawmill, I don't see people who are trying to shoot past what they're capable of. Like, I... Like, my, my dad's 50 years old, so... Yeah, of course, his ambition is gone. When most of his life, he grew up in a rural area and was raised to be a workaholic, which I wasn't. What was Ben raised to be? What did Ben... What what did people put in front of Ben to say, we're raising you not to be a workaholic, but we're raising you to... Uh, the way they have raised me, not how they tried to, which they tried their best, but I am sheltered and spoiled. Like, I've never had to struggle. I've never had to leave my abode to build sufficient connections. It feels like a self-fulfilling prophecy of... I want to do this, but I don't. Like, like, make up your fucking like, make up your mind, you dumbass. Do you want to go out and actually do things, or do you want to be a fucking amoeba? Ben, this has been an incredibly sharing and moving interview, and I really do thank you for putting this time aside for us. And I refuse to leave you hanging there to reach for the stars. You are only 22, my friend. You are only 22. FYI, the world is at your feet. What sort of stars would Ben like to reach for? Originally, yeah, as a kid you want to be an actor, but recently I've gotten more respect infinitely more respect for editors and animators but I keep hearing all of this bullshit this demotivating bullshit about how they're not paid properly they're not credited properly and it's incredibly demotivating if the way I lived my life led me to having the artist's drive I wouldn't be as discouraged by those negative aspects as I am. Like, why... Like, if I was truly an artist, 
I wouldn't be stopped by that. I would just make. But I don't. And the thing with being, like, reaching for the stars is the ego problem. And as we've established, I don't want to be above anyone mentally. But in order to succeed in that field, you have to metaphorically kill people. You have to step on their dreams. You have to be a piece of a piece of a uh, garbage, a piece of garbage. And because I've been raised with this wall of, hey, don't ever be a cut. But you have to you have to do that in order to succeed in this system that is broken so it sounds like you're struggling with when do when should i actually flex my muscles can someone please give me a cue for when i am supposed to flex and 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 tout your horn is that is that accurate i feel like i have to have someone watching my every move even though that's definitely probably not true but I don't have the confidence to do something on my own without having a video on the side showing exactly what I need to do or someone constantly watching over me. So I'm always focused on, okay, I gotta, okay, I gotta, I gotta remember everything. I gotta remember what I gotta do. What about, what about if you had, I'm just going left field here. What about if locally there was such a thing as an advocate or a diplomat or an ambassador on behalf of yourself, apart from vocational representation, do you feel like you and others around here would benefit from a mental health ambassador? Not just people walking around waving stickers and badges and putting aside a week and um, you know saying, isn't it wonderful that all these uh, bands can come and play in Market Square? That doesn't make things go away. It only says, look how good we are at, at, at putting on a thing or using the word awareness in or out of context. Do you feel like you might actually, you, Ben, might actually benefit from an ambassador that, as you say, doesn't want to see you waste your ambition? Uh, and obviously other people have gotten out of town, so to speak, have made it out of town. Do you feel like someone could help you in that regard if they actually sat down and said, right, Ben wants to get from here to here? I know that he has um, self-perception issues, he has mental health issues, he has a condition, he has a diagnosis, however people want to treat it. His family are busy being a family for him. The family aren't supposed to hand him what he is supposed to do. They're not supposed to do that. They are supposed to let you, you know, fly in your own regard. You are supposed to leave the nest in your own regard. You're supposed to flap your own wings. And you'd like to do that, wouldn't you, Ben? You'd like to flap your own wings. So what do you think about the ambassador concept? Do you think something like that could help around here yeah yeah that that guy that that person that person boy where where are they where are they at hmm? where where's that guy at where is that person at i will finally though we've got it's been such a long interview thank you ben thank you so much for putting the time aside again really appreciate the the vulnerability and the honesty that you've brought to my show and as its first guest you get double honors in that regard but before we do let you get into your day get back into cleaning up after the floods i do have a question which a few listeners would have picked up on so who speaks american there at home which uh, or which of his parents are american oh just me i'm not american in any way my parents have no, but none of the American accent and any of its foundations for why I have that accent that I switch between it for some reason when I talk, I didn't get it from them. I got it from the media that I consumed, which is video games made in America, uh, American television shows. I, I, I watched Cartoon Network which is mostly American and or Canadian shows. And I'm going to be honest, 
a lot of Australian-made stuff, like cartoons, that showed on Cartoon Network, like, like Angela, Angela Anaconda, Anaconda, like, I wasn't gonna watch that. Most of the best content was made by people where the majority of voice actors had American accents. The shows that I enjoyed the most. Enjoyability is subjective, and the shows that I enjoyed the most, the voice actors had American accents. Okay. So why, uh, and, and so did your brother, and so did I, uh, so did my cousin, who's female and 20 years older than me, uh, so did someone that we've never met that lives in Wollongong that's half your age. Um, why do you think, out of all of us, only you have ended up with the American accent. Is there any link, do you think, between Ben, his his uniqueness, his condition, and the fact that you're not the only one I only hear that Americanism from. I only hear it from gamers. I only hear it from people sitting out the back of Gathering of Worlds, um, fossicking away in all sorts of variations on a theme. What what's, what's going on there, do you reckon? You know what it is? It's the internet and a lot of the content and a lot of the ways that we've developed our language, learnt um, our way of speaking comes from American, like people from America. But you went to school, you went to school in Tormina and then you went to school in Grafton and yet they don't, they didn't turn out with a majority of people talking American. It was mainly when... Like, there's an example of one time where I was reading this Lego comic out loud, and then I was trying to do impressions of the voices of the characters. Like, it was a Lego Indiana Jones comic, so I was trying to impersonate the voices that I heard, which had American accents, and then my brother comes in and is like, why are you reading with American accents? Read normally! I'm like, what? Like, I didn't even consciously register that what an accent really was until that point. Oh, I see. And the only reason I, like, sound kind of Australian, it's more because I got into Doctor Who, and that's a British show. So I had a British accent for a while, and now I'm just kind of in that in-between point, which is what Australians are the in-between point between American and British. Have you found a lot of people ask where it comes from? Not recently, no. Surely, at some point, at least once a year, you meet someone and they say, sorry, you American? I think with how like accessible social media is and how... And this is probably overthinking, but I think that... It, I, I overthink that there's probably some unification of an accent because a lot of the most popular uh, content creators ha are from America or at the very least have that accent. And because we're hearing that accent all the time, it's slipping into... Because I hear that accent all the time through the content that I still like watch and consume. Ben... I would like to suggest something before we go that you're familiar with ASMR, um, a very relaxing brain massage, and it, it's it's the provision of sound that makes you feel comfortable to help you engage in a more relaxed activity. You're familiar with it, yeah? Yeah, I'm I'm familiar with the I'm I'm familiar with ASMR and the general concept of it, yeah. Cool. So I suggest to you that because uh, American accents and voices and characters were what you found the most enjoyable, were what you found the most familiar. They became more than that. They became not only just friends, but also comfort food for your brain. And that your brain now, as it has developed in its unique and particular neurodivergency, has actually built an ASMR blanket in the form of the American accent that you bring up every now and then to calm yourself. How does that sound? That is quite the uh, hypothesis. That's quite the theory. 
We'll see if it holds up. But for the moment, Ben, this has been episode number three of Nighttime. Thank you so much for joining us, mate. Any final words or, or messages for the listeners? When's the musical break? We didn't need one, mate. That was a snowball of a, of a chat, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you did too. I hope the listeners did. Say goodnight, Ben. Good night. Good night, all. You have a, a wonderful evening. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go see how hard I can cry. I'm very proud of the the effort you've put in today. Well, I had help. You take care, Ben, and you continue to look after yourself. Yeah, and thank you also to uh, once again for putting the time aside. And if anyone does want to get in touch with us with any questions for Ben, uh, I'm sure he'd be more than excited to hear about them and also to read them and to answer them himself. He can only do that, as you can probably all tell uh, today, Ben. Ben can only speak on behalf of himself and from the heart, and that's exactly what he's done today, and I truly appreciate that. If you are interested at all in finding out some more about your own neurodivergency, please don't just Google Dolly Doctor. Please actually talk to a qualified professional. Take care, everyone. See you, Ben. Bye.